So in chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul. Then last week, we saw Saul being helped by many different believers to get the good news about Jesus out. Then we saw Peter. He performed two miracles. If you remember, he healed a paralyzed man, and then he raised a woman from the dead. So today, our focus is on chapter 10. The focus is on Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, becoming believers. Now, we're going to cover the entire chapter. Normally, I wouldn't do 48 verses on one Sunday, but the whole thing is a collective thought, so it'll move kind of quick, but we're just going to jump right into chapter 10. Verses 1 through 2, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So here we have Cornelius. He's a Roman military officer who, in that day, they actually called a God-fearer, meaning this. He was not Jewish. He did not convert to Judaism, but he feared God. He participated in some forms of worship. He probably sat in the back of the synagogue. The Jewish people did not associate with them, with these God-fearers, but they respected the fact that they feared God. So here's what happens. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send a man to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So basically what's happening here is this God-fearing man is praying, and an angel appears to him and says, there's a guy named Peter. You need to send some people to get him and bring him back because he has a message that you need to hear. Now, meanwhile, in Joppa, where Peter is, Peter is waiting, or not really waiting at this point, but where the visitors will eventually come and get him. Basically, what's happening now with Peter is God's going to start to prepare him to accept the invitation. So when I say that God was preparing Peter, here's what I mean. Peter was a believer in Jesus at this point, and because of his Jewish upbringing, he still thought like a Jew, okay? He still thought like a Jew, meaning this. The Jewish line of thinking during that time was before a person becomes a believer in Jesus, they need to have some kind of Jewish roots, okay? They need to have some kind of Jewish roots or beliefs. You remember the Samaritans, some of them became believers, but they were kind of half-bred Jews, right? So basically, they had some kind of roots in Judaism. So God was working on Peter, or God's going to prepare Peter to accept the fact that he's supposed to go and tell these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, about Jesus, and that they can believe as well. So God was working with Peter to get him to this point of accepting the Gentiles. In fact, here's how God was working. 
Okay, Simon the Tanner, remember that guy? It said, he said he's living with Simon the Tanner. At the end of last week, it just said Peter went there with Simon the Tanner, and I didn't even say anything about it. Okay, so basically this Simon the Tanner comes up. Now, Simon, although a Jew and a believer in Christ, was a Tanner. And if you know anything about Tanners, which I didn't, okay, but I learned, um, they dealt in leather. And in order to deal in leather, you got to skin what? Dead animals, okay? According to the Jewish law and thinking, if a person touched a dead animal, they were unclean. So you should have nothing to do with someone who was touching dead animals. But now Peter, being a good Jew, was still willing to stay with him because Simon the Tanner was a follower of Jesus. So God was already working on Peter's heart. So here's how the Lord prepares Peter for the visit from Cornelius' men. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, this is Cornelius' men, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter has this vision, this trance, and he sees this sheet, and there's all these animals that normally were unclean for the Jewish person to eat, and the Lord says, rise and eat, kill and eat. And Peter, being a good Jew, says, no, I never, I never ate anything like that, okay? I've never eaten anything like that. So basically what's happening here now is the Lord is starting to communicate to Peter about all these religious Jewish laws that he was brought up with. This is why if you talk to somebody who's like a strict practicing Jew, or if you're like doing the Bible through a year and you get to Leviticus and you're like, what in the world is all this stuff? You can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Okay, so basically what's happening here now is Peter's seeing in this vision, he's a Jewish believer in Jesus, and the Lord is saying, okay, kill and eat. So Peter says, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm a good Jew. I, I don't do that. So here's what happens. And the voice came to him again and said a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So now the Lord is communicating. He's saying, listen, Peter, know this happened three times? Kind of like us, right? God wants you to do something, you're like, eh, I don't know. God wants you to do something again, you're like, eh, I don't know. And then God wants you to, and then finally you're like, okay, I, I guess I'm doing this, right? Okay, I hear you, God, you communicated to me. So the Lord was communicating an important truth to Peter that would later help him follow the call of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And that truth is this, he is not under the Jewish law of clean and unclean any longer. 
Okay, that's basically what's going on here. He's not under that Jewish law of clean and unclean any longer. So let's look. There's a bunch of verses I'm going to read now. Now, Peter was inwardly perplexed as, to, perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had to call together his relatives and close friends. So basically, here's what happens. These guys go and say, Peter, we're looking for you. Peter already was communicated by the Lord in a vision. There's going to be guys that are looking for you. You're going to go with them because they need to hear what you have to say. Cornelius, God-fearing man, was praying and the angel basically said, hey, you need to hear what this guy Peter has to say. So now Cornelius finds out Peter's coming. So what does he do? He gets together his family and friends, right? He gets together his family and friends, brings them together because Peter's coming and Peter has a message. These guys got to hear this. Makes me think of when I was growing up, we had relatives, Italian, the Italian side of my family. We had relatives in Brooklyn, right? We all got in my grandpa's Cadillac on Sundays. The wax seats in the back were sliding back and forth. And we get there, right? And, and everybody's there, you know, Vinny and Dominic and everybody. And they're all eating, right? And, you know, it would be like that scene. And then somebody's coming and they're going to talk to us and they're going to tell us what we need, what we need in life. So basically, Cornelius, he got all his friends and family together. They're all there to hear what Peter has to say, to hear what Peter has to say. Do you do that? Do you take opportunities to get your family and friends and the people that you love together to hear about what the Lord has to say. You know, one of the ways we structure a church, this is no secret, right? Around Christmas time, around Easter, what do we do? We make it possible for your friends and family to come to maybe events, to church, to different things. And, and you notice what the focus of the message really is is the gospel message, okay? Easter time comes, okay? Yeah, obviously we talk about the resurrection, but the focus is the gospel. Christmas time comes. Yeah, we talk about the birth of Christ, but the focus is the gospel. Why? Because that's what all your friends and family members need. You know, I'm not gonna let you bring your friends and family member here and then not talk about Jesus because then you guys are gonna come and be like, dude, we brought them to hear about Jesus and then you talked about something else. That's why we don't waver and we don't talk about politics and different things like that. We talk about Jesus. So Cornelius was like, I got all these people together. Somebody's car alarm's going off. Um, 
So I got all these people together because they need to hear about Jesus. Do you take opportunities to tell people about Jesus? So in verse 25, it says this. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So now what happens is Peter gets there. Obviously, Cornelius, he's communicated to by an angel. So he sees Peter. And he's like, this is the guy. He, stands, he drops down and worships him. Peter rebukes him, not in a bad way, but basically in a way saying, hey, I'm a guy just like you. I don't deserve worship. I don't deserve worship. So then he goes on. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter now applies this sheep vision, okay, right? Basically, he's saying, normally, I would not associate with non-Jews. Normally, I would look at non-Jews as unclean. But God spoke to me. He said, don't call anything that I've created common or unclean. So he's saying, now I understand that I have a mission from God. And part of that mission from God is to bring salvation to Gentiles, to people that God also desires to bring into his family. So Peter says to them, why did you send for me? Why, like, I want to ask you, what prompted you? What prompted you to invite a Jew over knowing that I could have rejected the invite? So now in verses 30 through 33, I'm just going to summarize, but Cornelius recounts what happened. What happened in the few, first few verses of, of chapter 10? He says, I was praying. I sent for you. You were kind enough to come. Now we all want to hear what the Lord commanded you to say. So basically, here it goes. Peter preaches the gospel with an emphasis on the fact that it's open to Gentiles, which means the message of Jesus is open to all. Now, before we continue, I can't stress this enough. Everyone needs the gospel. No matter where you're from, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter your socioeconomic, no matter your education, no matter if you were brought up in a very strict religious background that's not Christian at all, no matter what your upbringing, where you're from, who you are, what your political beliefs are, what you've done in the past, it does not matter. Every single person needs to hear about Jesus. You know, sometimes in life, we, we kind of, ah, well, I don't really want to tell that person. They're not interested. Ah, that person, yeah. they wouldn't really like this whole Jesus thing. Or They're too far gone. Let me just tell you, there's people in this church right now that were thinking the same thing about you, okay? And now you're here because Jesus saved you, right? 
many of us, right, were, we were the least likely candidates to become believers in Jesus. See, the message of Jesus is open to all. So Peter, he went because he understood that. So here's what happens. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, this is a huge statement here for Peter. The first is basically, this is, I understand that God shows no partiality, meaning God has no favorites. Do you know all Peter's life, he grew up with a mindset of privilege. You realize that? As a Jewish person, he grew up with a mindset of privilege. The Jewish people were the people that God chose to reveal his plan through. So for the Jewish people, though, it turned into, we are better than you. Okay? So for Peter to make this statement, this is groundbreaking. He's saying, now I know. I'm no better than you. I just happen to be part of the people group that God decided to reveal his plan through. So Peter realizes that. So for Peter to say that God shows no partiality shows that he understands God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's favor extends to everyone. His salvation is a gift offered to everyone. But notice he says this. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, theologically, you might be asking some questions here. Because it almost sounds like if somebody believes there's a higher power, believes there's a higher power, and does good things, they're acceptable to God. Is it possible for a person without Jesus to be acceptable to God? Well, the answer to that is no. It has to be no. Because everywhere else in the scriptures, it says no. So what does Peter mean here? Well, I think what he means is anyone that's acknowledging that there is a God, anyone who's saying to themselves, there's, there's got to be something more, God will reveal himself to that person. You know, people often ask this question, right? And you've probably heard this question. What about those who never heard about Jesus? Have you heard this? What about those who never heard about Jesus? Do you know what I think the best way to answer that is? If someone's seriously interested and sincerely interested in God, thinking there's a higher power, wondering if something more is out there, God will get the message to them. That's what I believe. God will get the message to them. Do you know why I believe that? Part of the reason is this. People that ask the question are actually hearing about Jesus, right? So if somebody asks you a question, what about those who never heard about Jesus? I'm like, what about you? Okay? You're hearing it right now. You're worried about people that may not even exist, but you need to respond. You need to respond to who Jesus is. So I'm confident that God will get his message out to anyone who seems to be searching or interested. Now, obviously, we have the necessity of culture to realize that the gospel knows no bounds around the world, communication. I mean, you can pretty much get almost any message out to any person in the entire world in the culture that we live in. Side note.
says this, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So now what Peter's doing is he's starting to recount, okay, how God used Israel to bring forth Jesus. They witnessed it. These people that he's talking to, they were alive when Jesus was alive, okay? So they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. We know about him. We know about him. So here's what happens. Then he goes on and says, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So then he goes on and says, like, Jesus, remember Jesus? He did all these miracles. He did all these amazing things. And, and here's what happened. They put him to death by crucifixion, hanging him on the tree. They witnessed Jesus' ministry of doing good, of healing people. They witnessed Jesus being crucified. But we know, and Peter preaches, this is not the end of the story. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So now Peter talks about the resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave, what to prove that he was God. And he makes mention about how he's a part of a chosen group of people that Jesus spent time with that he trained in order to bring that message out to other people. So here's what happens. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So now Peter's saying, okay, this is why I'm here. Okay, you guys invited me. The angel spoke to you, Cornelius. You sought after me. I'm here. Here's why I'm here. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the grave. I'm here to tell you about that. Peter, what Peter's doing right now is he's preaching to them. He's basically like, not in an environment like this, but in a house, and people are listening. What does this guy have to say? Peter says, here's the authority I have. I spent time with Jesus. You guys all know and heard about Jesus and what happened to him. I spent time with him. He called me here to tell you about this. Do you realize this is kind of nothing new when it comes to God's economy? Because God called certain people in the Old Testament to preach it as well. And then Peter actually points that out. He says, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So now what Peter's saying is, hey, listen, hey, listen, this is what the prophets were pointing to. All the things that you read in the Old Testament, all the prophets, guess what? They were pointing to this very time to this very time that Jesus would come and lay down his life and rise again. So he completes his solid gospel presentation with what? Believe. Everyone who believes. This is why we realize that if somebody just says there's a God and does good things, but doesn't believe in Jesus, does not receive forgiveness. Because the command is, who believes in him, who believes in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins 
through his name. Only through Jesus can we experience forgiveness of our sins. Only through Jesus are we made right with God the Father. Only through Jesus do we receive eternal life. So these people are hearing this. Many for the very first time. And here's what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's a Jewish, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So here's what's happening. As Peter's preaching, people are believing. Okay? They didn't run forward or anything like that. They believed in their heart. They truly believed who Jesus is and what he's done. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. Remember in Passing Acts, like we had a couple of events where people laid hands for them to get the Holy Spirit and stuff. And I said, well, that's for a special time for that specific purpose. Now we see here the Holy Spirit's just falling on people. Nobody's laying hands on them. People are believing. When you and I believed in Jesus as our Savior, guess what? The Holy Spirit came to make his home inside of us. We're God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So this is what was happening. And guess what? The Jewish people that were with Peter were like, what? Gentiles? These people? They get to believe too? The message of Jesus is open to all. Then it goes on to say, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So now there's some validation here. There's some people speaking in tongues, which we saw, talked about in Acts 2. But the other validation is this public, this public baptism thing. Because now all of a sudden, this is the first real group of pure Gentiles that are now being saved. And can you only imagine, they all like walked out of the house and said, yo, let's get baptized. And everybody, they, everybody in Caesarea is like, what? What's going on here? There's Peter the Jew walking out with all these Italians and, and they're baptizing them. You know, what's going on? Okay. So here's the thing. This is further communicating, right? That the gospel knows no bounds. You know, we can't forget that. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the way the culture is and we look at people and we think, we don't necessarily look at like their origin necessarily, but we look at like what they believe or what type of person they are. And we start to think, nah, I don't think they'd be interested in this. I don't think they would believe in this. I don't think they would, they would listen. Don't think like that. Pray to the Lord and step into the opportunities. Step into the opportunities and realize, you know, there's people in your life right now that you think are so far, so far, that they would never even listen. But you might be pleasantly surprised at the fact that God is working on them through you. I know I talk about this a lot. I mean, so much of my heart is for the unbelieving, for the people who aren't there yet, right? But the truth is, we're all in that same boat. We need to get that message out. We are placed in places to talk to these people about Jesus. So it says this, 
and he commanded them to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days. So here's what happened. Just imagine this. So Peter's there, preached to them. They all become Christians. It doesn't end there, right? Right, when you became a Christian, you became part of the church, right? And you started coming out and you started getting involved in things and you started to realize, you know what? It's not just about believing and then going to heaven one day. It's about being part of a family of believers. They wanted Peter to stay because they're like, this guy had the words of life for us. Stick around. Like, let's talk. Let's learn. That's what we do here each Sunday. When you come here on a Sunday and we go through 48 verses of scripture, the reason why is because I want you to understand and God wants you to understand the whole counsel of his word. We're in this together, right? We're in this together. So Peter spent time with them. And we're going to see through Acts all the places that Peter went and Paul and everything like that. But they wanted him to remain for some days because they wanted to learn. They had a desire to learn so that they can be effective with other people as they had those opportunities. Now this morning, as a church family, as believers, we're gonna observe communion. And there's really two reasons why we observe communion. The first is simply put, Jesus died for us, okay? Jesus paid the price for us. When his blood was shed, when his body was broken, he was dying to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. But communion is a time for remembrance. You know, when we come here, we sing songs about Jesus. We learn the gospel. We are reminded of the gospel. We learn about things and how to respond in certain ways in, in the faith. But let us never forget that Jesus saved us. We're not a moral-based religion, okay? We're a Jesus saved us from our sins. Okay? Let us never forget that. But second is communion is the time for us to evaluate. You know, where have I been kind of going wrong? Whatever area it is. It doesn't have to have something to do with what we talked about this morning. It could be any area of life, a sin that you're struggling with. And you know what? None of you want to struggle with sin. None of you, none of us feel good about our sin. But we want to be right with God in every area. He forgives us, of course, but he doesn't want us to struggle. He doesn't want us to live there. So like I say all the time, right? You can't do it on your own. You need victory and Jesus can bring you the victory. So take that sin, whatever it is you're struggling with, throw it at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to just be quiet and just talk to God and then we'll partake together. Unlike Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me.